Kansas anymore. Are you ready? Now I'm just getting warmed up. This task was appointed to you. I said I want the truth! I say we take off and nuke the entire site from Dodge Ed. Hello and welcome back to the BBFC podcast. Today I'm joined by two very special guests. Firstly, I'd like to welcome back David Austin, our Chief Executive. Hello, Megan. Hello. David, your last appearance on the podcast was when we looked back at the atrocity that was 2020 and all of the lockdowns and how we functioned during lockdown. So hopefully this podcast will be a bit lighter in tone. Fingers, it's fingers crossed. Back. Thank you. <laughs> and I'd also really like to welcome Cole Needham to the podcast. Welcome, Cole. Hey Megan, great to be here. So Col is the founder and CEO of the much-loved website IMDB, which launched online in 1990 and was acquired by Amazon.com in 1998. I'm sure most of you are familiar with the Internet Movie Database, most commonly known as IMDB, but just in case, IMDB is a world-leading authoritative source for information on movies, TV shows and celebrities. As of March 2022, the site has 200 million monthly visitors and over 11 million titles. So today we'll be chatting with Colin David about IMDB, Cole's relationship with the BBFC, and excitingly, we'll be hearing about Cole's top three favourite films. So Cole, I'll throw over to you first. You founded IMDB at your home in Bristol over 30 years ago. Can you tell us about the idea behind IMDB and what inspired you when setting it up? Yeah, it's 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 funny because it the the IMDB launched on the internet on October the 17th, 1990, but the the story behind it goes even even further back. Um, I'm a lifelong film fan, um, obsessed with film ever since ever since I won a colouring competition where the prize was to go and see Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs at the Odeon in Manchester in uh, 1972. Um and and just growing up, kind of like just obsessed with film, um, I begged my mother to take me to see Jaws, uh, and I was a little too young. I, I I think I think maybe I should complain to the uh, certificate body. Absolutely, <laughs> please do. What's your about... response, David? <laughs> well, yeah, it was classified PG, I think, back in the day, wasn't it? It's, it's now well, uh, a, well, twelve. It would oh, have been an, an a, a, yeah, yes. And then it was PG. It's now. We agree with you. It's a bit scary for, for the youngest audience. So it's a it's a twelve A for the theatrical release and twelve on on video. Yeah, that feels that that does that does feel right as an as a traumatized eight year old who went to see it. But on the positive side, um, that was the first film that showed me the power of film to kind of get inside your head. <laughs> kind of thing uh i was the right age for the first star wars film so that was that was all good um and i had this interesting parallel interest in technology so by 1981 i was seeing so many films that i could no longer keep track of which ones i'd seen and which ones i hadn't seen so i did the classic film geek thing which is I got a paper diary and I began to write in each day which films I'd seen on that day. But I'm interested in who directed uh, the film, who wrote it, who shot it, who's in it. 
And so, so my paper diary lasted sort of two weeks as a standalone thing. Uh, and I went to my computer at the time, created a little piece of software uh, to track everything, including all of those cast and crew types that I've just talked about, the date I saw it, what I thought about it, what it was about kind of thing. So just for my own personal use... Uh, a little database, and I would rewind the VHS tapes uh, after watching something, if I was watching it at home or recorded from TV, press the pause button and type the information in uh, myself. Ridiculously <laughs> geeky, okay? <laughs> but it, it, it worked out all right in the end. <laughs> I'm glad that the paper list didn't last too long. I'm imagining reams and reams of paper. <laughs> well, well, the funny thing is, I did, I did keep the diary. I kept the diaries going till about 2010. So I would still, I would still have the the paper di the paper diary. It was, it was only, it was really when the IMDb mobile app launched. And that then gave me the ability to track everything as I saw it. That it was kind of like, oh, I actually don't need the paper diary um, anymore. But it's a good, it was a good hold. The paper diaries were a good holding place until I had time to like type the credits in or gather the information, that kind of thing. So um, I got online in 1985. Uh, so very early, pre-World Wide Web, uh, not much else other than mailing lists and bulletin boards. Met some like-minded people online, uh, met as in exchanged messages with them, you know, didn't meet them in real life. Um, and one thing led to another. And in October 1990, the very first version of the IMDb software was published. You download it to your own computer. You could search directors and cast members. And that was it. But uh, a couple of weeks after launch, somebody contacted me and said, oh, love the database. I'm a big fan of writers. Have you thought of adding writers right. to the database? And I was busy with the software and, and the cast elements of it. Um, so I, I, I said, well, would you like to volunteer and manage the writers section for us? Um, I can give you the writers of every film I've ever seen. And then some software to to kind of like help help you kind of like publish the information. Um, and so the person replied back and said yes, and we had writers. A few weeks later, somebody mailed from Switzerland and said they were a big composers fan. And what did we think about adding composers? And and it grew like that over the next few years. Um, with somebody somewhere in the world would pop up and say, "I care about this. Have you thought of adding this to IMDb?" And we would always say yes if there was somebody that cared enough to volunteer and say that they would do it. We figured it was worth including, and we soon exhausted things that were in my database. So you know, we're like we we launched with like two movie quotes and, <laughs> uh, but you know by you the time you as, as soon, <laughs> ooh, no that 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 would that would be tricky um these people that, that um that, that contacted you and said oh you, what about thinking of writers and what about thinking of composers did you then say okay you do it you, you've just volunteered yourself yes to work yeah yeah so that, that was, was it yeah and it. in in almost all cases 
the person replied back. You know, sometimes they asked because they were volunteering, mm -hmm. and sometimes they asked and were surprised to, to have been nominated, um, but then said yes anyway. So only only a very small number of people ever ever kind of went, what? No, I thought you were going to do this. So, so. Do, you, do you think there's a gap in the market now? Is there something that IMDb is missing? And if there's a volunteer out there, says, <laughs> I think you should have, you know, assistant grip or whatever. Uh, and um, I volunteered to do it, so well, please employ me. <laughs> I'm not putting myself forward, oh, wow. but if there's, a listen, if there's a listener. Well, the funny, the funny thing is on that one, so we kind of, we, we covered that by 94. It was kind of like, well, we've got a lot of the major crew sections and departments and that kind of thing covered. And so I actually, I guess I was the last volunteer <laughs> for this. Um, I launched a kind of like, uh, we now call it additional crew. Um, it's been known as miscellaneous crew. It's been known as other crew. And this was a space within the database that could accept any any type of credit that doesn't have its own department. And then every now and again, we spin off a, a new department list from the additional crew kind of section um, on on demand. So, yeah, I don't I don't think... There isn't anything that we don't cover. That's a anymore. challenge. That's a challenge yeah, to yeah. everyone listening yeah, to yeah. well, this podcast. Well, well, the the the, the thing is, so so certainly on title pages, we have something called the uh, frequently asked questions section. So the idea would be, so if you've got something that, like, um, I'm, I'm looking around for, I'm looking around for in, inspiration here. I, I I can see some musical instruments on the wall. So if you're like a big musical instrument fan and you want to say, well, this 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 movie featured this cello then you would be able to put that in the frequently asked questions for that film or that show you know what musical instruments were featured here so one way or another there's a way to represent i think any any fact that you can think of about any film, any TV series, any show, any person, somewhere within the space. And I guess what we would do there is if 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 there was kind of like a concentrated um, uh, kind of effort on a particular type of content, we might create a new section. But you can certainly you can certainly add anything anywhere. So uh, so there we were, early 90s, kind of like gathering volunteers. We never met anywhere or anything like that. And then in the summer of 93, um, I got an email from a PhD student at Cardiff University. It's great. You know, we spread throughout the world. Uh, I'm in Bristol and some, you know, 40 or so miles away, somebody mails Um a guy called Rob Hartill, and Rob emailed and said, uh, I love the database software, uh, but have you heard of the World Wide Web? Because I think <laughs> it might be quite big. <laughs> Would love to write a wrapper around the software to create a website. Now, this is 93. Wow. So the very first web browsers were still in beta testing. And, and we actually ended up, we, we launched online using spare capacity at Cardiff University. Um, we were kind of somewhere in the first 100 websites wow. to launch. Wow. Um, you know, somewhere, you know, so, somewhere, somewhere in there. You used to be able to go to a website called What? 
what's new on the web and it would list every website that went live the previous day like sometimes as many as four Wow. <laughs> and so people, if, if people said to me, you know, like, have you have you been on the web? I, I could actually say, oh, yeah, I've done the web. You start at the most recent what's new on the web page entry and go all the way back in time until you hit, like, website number one. And it's like, ta-da, you've, you've done the web. So... So immediately then, people were able to access IMDb without downloading any software other than their web browser, uh, which might have been a challenge back then, but but there we go. Um, and we grew and grew from there. So we ended up with websites all over the world, mostly at different universities in you know different different kind of places. Um, and then 1995 the web suddenly kind of bloomed into the public consciousness. The, the BBC had a TV show called, I think it was called The Net. Uh, and they were, you know, they would, they would go, hey, we found a new website today. Look at this. Um, and, you know, newspaper coverage and, and all of this kind of thing. And so our traffic just went crazy and it was doubling every two weeks on a kind of compound basis. And so all of a sudden our little tiny hobby was something that was like wow this is kind of like out of control and I'm not sure I can not sure I can just do this on a Saturday morning before I take my kids to the park anymore so all the way up until that time it was like something you were doing yep on the side Yep, yep, yeah. There was no commercial use of the internet. Um, At the time we were deciding whether we should incorporate, you could count the number of websites that were ad supported on two hands. And nobody knew if they would were making any money, whether there was any long term, you know, path to success through this. It could have all just been a flash in the pan type thing. Um, but we decided to go for it. Uh, we incorporated in January 96. Um, we divided the shares of the company up amongst all of the volunteer team members spread around the world according to how long you'd been involved and how much work you were doing kind of thing. So it's it's kind of like an interesting way to, to build a company without ever meeting any of the people that you are founding the company with. Um, we bought our first web server on a credit card. Uh, we <laughs> launched we launched IMDB.com in time for the Oscars in 96. Um, I sold our first piece of advertising two weeks later um, and we were able to therefore pay off the credit card in the interest-free four-week period and thus became the world's first profitable internet company. Um, the summer of 96, uh, we sold our first advertising to a film studio for a theatrical release. That was my cue to quit my day job. I became our first full-time employee. And then from that point on, as the revenue grew to be able to cover another salary, I would call up one of the volunteer shareholders and go, hey, quit your day job, join the team. Um, again, without meeting them. Um, and that, that carried on until January 98 when um, I had a meeting in London with Jeff Bezos and uh, of Amazon.com and Jeff said that Amazon was going from selling books to music to opening a video store and was looking for a site to partner with. Um, anything would be possible from a licensing deal 
all the way through to an outright acquisition. The outright acquisition being the more interesting end of the, the range for, for Jeff. And we just found that there was such a great kind of connection between us personally, between where the, what the two companies wanted to do and how they went about doing that, um, that we obviously went for the acquisition route. And on April the 24th, 98, IMDb became Amazon's first acquisition. Now, Amazon also bought two other companies that day. One was a UK bookseller, which became Amazon.co.uk. The other was a German bookseller, which became Amazon.de. And so the media at the time were kind of like, OK, bookseller buys bookseller. Check. Bookseller <laughs> buys bookseller. Check. Bookseller buys entertainment database. Uh and and so so I remember because some of the confusion around this, but but then the video store opened and it's like ah okay, and then a few years later Amazon started to sell uh, online you know films and TV shows. It's like ah, and then Amazon Studios launched. It's like ah, and so all of these different things that that we've done in in the partnership over the coming up to twenty five years now uh, has has been. Uh, has been fun so that's the that's the journey wow. <laughs> in 32 years <laughs> and it's a very different kind of platform now in terms of you have so much data I wonder like how you manage kind of condensing it to a readable and digestible kind of yeah platform. I mean I, I'm I'm surprised at the 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 rate at which the data is growing even after even after 32 years and part of that is to do with the way that the boundaries between different kinds of entertainment are blurring and that for me this is this is like very exciting like you can now uh, anybody can be a storyteller um, you can pick up a phone, you can shoot a, a short, you could shoot a, like a, a you know documentary or a feature short, uh, you could shoot your own web series, uh, you could shoot your own feature film, you can edit it on your phone, you can do the visual effects on your on your phone, and then you can distribute it to an audience, yeah. um, you know, I without mean, without needing a studio and a set of cameras behind you. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's something we face as well at the BBFC, isn't it, David, in terms of new media coming in, new formats and having to kind of classify that as well indeed managing data and we you know we're classifying we're working with 29 online platforms now you know people think of the bbfc as cinema and they see the black card at the beginning of the films and then vhs and video we, we classify lots and lots of content for streaming platforms including amazon prime right, one of yeah. our, one of our good partners we we um bbfc standards used to classify hundreds of millions of websites um, so we, we work with, you know, so many different organisations across the whole range of, of media, you know, web, from theatrical films to websites and all points in between. So, yeah, uh -huh. we, yeah. we're amassing huge amounts of data <laughs> we, and, we, str and struggling with it. <laughs> oh, dear. Oh, maybe we can help. Um, the, the, uh, like one of the things that more, more recently, so we expanded into covering music videos and podcasts. Um, so, so just just to kind of like put this in context this this is kind of like a scary scary statistic when i thought about this so it took us 28 years to gather our first 5 million titles so so kind of like essentially 1990 to 2017 we had 5 million titles for our next 5 million titles it it only it only took uh 4 years <laughs> 
<laughs> so so we were then we were then at 10 million titles our latest 1 million titles we added them in just over a quarter this year um so yeah it's next if you're if you're a fan of entertainment it's an exciting it's, world out it's there. all out there <laughs> yeah. we've never been better served <laughs> um and i'll move on slightly to kind of the BBFC, Colin, what you know about the BBFC, how you maybe have worked with us in the pop in the past. Um, what was your experience of the BBFC growing up and when you set up IMDb? And what is your experience of the BBFC now? Right now, gr- now gr- growing up is interesting because I'm I'm in this I'm in this very interesting kind of like age range possibly here where the home video revolution kind of began when I was a teenager. Um, and so, so I, I remember it being very much the wild west of certification classification because the, the, it, there was no application of the certificates to VHS tapes. And, and, and like now, I think maybe as a, as a 14 year old, I thought that was perhaps quite cool. <laughs> However, as a, now I'm, you know, I'm a parent of two 29-year-olds now. Having 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 raised our kids, kind of like you know, I, I kind of like I, rem- I remember when my daughters were the same age I was in these kind of like VHS Wild West days, and think, oh my goodness, I am as a parent, I am so 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 much better, so much better informed and pleased that that that, that the information is available and you can make viewing decisions before you view uh, rather than just grabbing what looks like an innocuous title from the video store shelves and getting it home to discover that it's not at all appropriate um so yeah <laughs> i'm glad we can be uh <laughs> yes <laughs> helpful and that, you know that's our job it's to help parents choose films and and videos that are right for them and their children so they have a great viewing experience and they avoid content that is going to be upsetting potentially for their children so that's yeah that's essentially what we're here for so, yeah so it's good yeah. that- especially i mean i i think especially because um you know people have there, there are different different sensitivities to different kinds of content um and i think like going which which you've done is going beyond the going beyond kind of like boiling everything down to a simple certificate and explaining why it's got that certificate is is a lot better because i know i know i think i would make in fact even between my two daughters i would make different choices when they were you know when 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 they were younger uh one of them one of them is definitely more sensitive to uh horrific scenes than the the other one is and it's that that kind of you know giving people the information to choose is uh is is the best thing to do definitely and i think it also helps um kind of not only with children but vulnerable adults to have that content advice so like if you don't want to watch something that's maybe relatable to your own life you know it's there before you even watch it yeah so i think that's always really helpful um so I want to kind of go back to um, your paper list because we're seeing a massive uplift in young people kind of creating their own lists on sites like Letterboxd or um, by putting together their own IMDb lists. Why do you think so many young people are keeping these lists and what's the value in curating 
kind of a list like that. Yeah, I, I think um, so. So from my own experience, it was definitely about kind of like tracking what what I'd seen. But what what you see is it kind of like helps to to shape you and kind of like say who you are and it's you know one of the ways you can express you know what is your authentic self is kind of like well well what media what media have I have I seen? Um, what what particular films do I like the the most? Or I, one of the things that one of the things that I always do with with IMDb lists, um, I create lists of kind of like inspirations, so that if um, if there's a particular film that I really like, um, uh, then I'll use the knowledge that I've got of the films that I've seen and kind of go. Ah, okay, yeah. Well, people who like this film are likely to like this set, and and you know, and it's not always that it's kind of like it's like another version of the same film. It can be like similar themes or great work by the same director or writer, and and that kind of thing. And so, so being able to kind of put together a a list like that, and I think that the nice thing now, I mean, when when I was a teenager, it was somewhat, it, you know, I, I guess I grew up in the kind of like the mixtape era <laughs> where you would be able to kind of like you know record tracks from different albums and kind of like share you know share share those but that that was not really possible with with film um cuz if you gave somebody a list of films in the 1980s you know maybe they could go to a video shop and find you know find perhaps half of them <laughs> or, or 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 you know some subset of them um whereas nowadays you can curate a list and somebody can then go okay right well i'm going to watch this list now almost as easily accessible as a mixtape was on a cassette tape in the 1980s because you no longer have that that challenge like like if somebody gave me a list of classic films to watch in the 1980s i would have probably spent most of the time frustrated that wow there's a great film here but i have no idea where i can you know where i can find this i i remember posting off um stamped addressed envelopes to mail order video shops and they'd send you back a catalogue and it'd be kind of like i'd be kind of like oh my goodness i've discovered a new alfred hitchcock film <laughs> and it's kind of like no the film existed all along and was available but you finally found somewhere where you can purchase it and 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 then watch it kind of thing so um yeah I love lists. <laughs> and David, that brings me on. What would be on your film mixtape? Oh, that's what yeah, well, I call like, it now. Like, like Cole, I am of that generation of mixtapes, and you take such great care in choosing the tracks and choosing the order. So, yeah, I do have an IMDb watch list. I'll, I'll give you a few, well, I think, a highlights on it. I mean, the first film on my uh, on my IMDb watch list is Dune Part 2. Oh. I just love. I just loved... I mean, Denis Villeneuve can't make a bad film. I loved the first film. And I remember... Um, I saw it when it came in for classification. I said, "Okay, I see June's coming," and I'm a big fan of the uh, of the David Lynch one as well. I'm one of the few yeah, big fans hey, of David me, Lynch. Me, me too. Oh. It's it's under it's underrated. Yeah, <laughs> it's it, yeah. So anyway, um, I saw it was coming up, so I said, "I need to see this film." You know, it could be challenging classification. It was straightforward, twelve A. Um, and then I remember hearing Mark Kermode reviewing it subsequently, and I thought, "Absolutely, he's got it spot on." He 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 talks about um, this speech at the end of Blade Runner where. 
Roy Batty says, I've seen things, people you wouldn't believe. And Mark Mo says, yeah, I've just seen June on the big screen. You know, it's just, it looks fantastic. <laughs> it's a great series of books. And I hope um, that Denis Villeneuve goes on to make the the entire films of the entire right. series. And I mean, he's in 79, he spoke about, and I think it might surprise people if he does, because... Um, when um, Frank Herbert said, it, it, it just tried to sum up the first three books he'd written at the time in '79, said that the, the message of the June of the June books is beware of heroes. So you know, <laughs> you think you know what's going on, but you know, you stick with this, and it might it might surprise you. So that's the first that's the first one on my list. Yeah. The second one, which is possibly kind of cheap because I've already seen it, and I don't know if you've seen it as well, Cobb, but I just think it's such a, an enjoyable. An enjoyable uh, and a, a, a breath of film and a breath of fresh air is the Woman King. Oh where, goodness, that is a great film. It's yeah, really, I, really I, enjoyable. I saw it. I saw it in Toronto at the film festival with a public audience, uh, and the the Toronto audiences are the, the most enthusiastic. Yeah. I think in uh, well, one of the most enthusiastic. I mean, Viola, so Viola Davis and Lashana Lynch are utterly terrifying, and you would not want to be on the wrong side of those two. And it's, yeah, but it's just so refreshing to see a film that's not. All, sorts, all CGI and, and no. it's a great it's kind of a very, very old fashioned yeah. film in a way but mm-hmm. just full of action and excitement so uh, I really enjoyed w- that w- was, was that did that pose any classification challenges not, not really it, I mean, it's, it's very there's a lot of there's a lot of action in there there's a lot of action it's it's a, it's a 15 right it's a 15 for violence I mean it's about a a unit of female soldiers who kick ass. So yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's very violent, <laughs> and um, and for sexual violence as well. Mm, yeah. Um, so those are the two issues that made it made it fifteen. But it's right. it's 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 well 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 worth seeing if you are fifteen or older. Um, the other film I want to mention, and I want to mention a performer as my final is is in the court of the Crimson King, which is a documentary about one of my favourite um, prog rock bands. Uh, King Crimson, and um, the the leader of King Crimson, Robert Fripp, who's I think possibly the only member that was there at the start and and still there now, is quite a difficult character, uh, but he is a musical genius. So I'm thinking perhaps there should be an IMDb category for musical geniuses or genii. Right. We we have plot keywords. We, okay. It's probably tagged up. I, I'll 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 go check. <laughs> Although of course, who is a musical genius and who yes, very, who is it's very not? Subjective. It's very subjective. Very subjective. But I would argue I would argue that that, that Robert Fripp who is, you know, by all accounts, is quite a difficult person, uh, is a musical genius. Although we did see his softer side during lockdown when he and his wife, Toya Wilcox, performed um, songs on, that you can see on YouTube. And we did see a softer, gentler side of Robert Fripp. Right. But he's still, he's still a genius. So the, the, the fourth category, well, it's not a film, it's, not, it's, it's Jesse Buckley. Anything, oh, anything with Jesse Buckley, <laughs> I, I, am, I, I have to watch because she's, she's so brilliant. Even if a film is not great, she's always great in it. I, I know, and I met her in 2017. It was a real coincidence. I'd, I'd spent the afternoon in a, in a screening room watching an, an early cut of a film called Country Girl. And that evening I went to an event at the BFI uh, with my wife and who should walk in but Jessie Buckley? And I said, I've just... And I didn't really know that much about her at the time. Mm-hmm. This is five yeah, years yeah, ago. Yeah. And I said, I've just, seen a, I've just seen a film with you in it this afternoon. And she says, oh, was it Beast? Because Beast had yes. just come out yeah. that, that week, I think. Yeah. And I said, no, no, it's, um, it's not out yet. It's, 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 it's a film called Country Girl. And I know the distributor's really keen to get a 12A. But sadly, you're the reason why it's not going to get a 12A. <laughs> because... 
you've got a bit of a potty mouth in the film, obviously reading the script, <laughs> sticking to the script, and you engage in some sexual shenanigans in a park, which means it's going to have to be a 15. And that film came out about a year later with a different title of Wild Rose. Wild Rose, and I did, yeah. Which is a really, really good film. Yeah. And I didn't, because I didn't know much about her, and I know that not all actors can sing, I said, was that actually you singing? Because it was brilliant. <laughs> was it actually you singing? Or did you have... She said, no, no, it was me singing. And then my wife said, yes, yeah, she... Jesse was on the um, Andrew Lloyd Webber Finder Nancy. Yeah, so, yeah. Oh, yes. Sir. Yeah, so, anyway, yeah. I quite... think she was the she was the runner up, and being the runner up on that might be the best thing that yeah. ever happened. I'm I'm a big I'm a big Jesse fan as well. Um, Wild Rose was my favourite film of 2018, and I I I, I know Jesse due to um uh, we did an awards thing together uh, around the time of around the time of Beast. And so the UK premiere was at the London Film Festival. And then afterwards, she did a gig as Rose um, in, the, in one of those clubs under the arches underneath Waterloo Station. Uh, phenomenal phenomenal night and she is such a she is such a talent everything talent, that she does is and, and she's such a nice person she was so funny we spent you know my wife and 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 i and her and one of us we spent the evening and she just entertained us with her stories of growing up in ireland and just she's she's such a lovely person and incredibly talented so so jesse's the, the uh the, the final um, right okay. final one on my IMDb list the final person on the IMDb list that I went brilliant to today. okay any Jesse Buckley movie exactly <laughs> I exactly. must I must admit though I recently saw Men the A twenty four film with Jesse Buckley in yeah. which is a very bizarre film <laughs> as with most A twenty four films but I was increasingly surprised by the ending which I don't know I won't spoil but you should definitely watch that if you want to see I saw it and liked it really liked it (laughs) she she has um, Women Talking which was the I think it was the Audience Award at Toronto. It was their second runner-up for the Audience Award, and that's playing London Film Festival um, in October. So that is that's on that's on my watch list. Yes, actually, exactly. I have a ticket for that already. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll move on now um, to some of your all-time favourite films, Cole, because I'd love to hear about your apparent Hitchcock <laughs> obsession. <laughs> Um, and a bit more details. Um, and I've actually, you kind of touched on this earlier about, you know, keeping records of the number of films you've seen. But how many films do you watch a day on average? Uh, at least two. Every um, day? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and... Oh gosh! Like so, so I, I, so I've been tracking everything by definition. I've been tracking everything that I've seen since the first of January, nineteen eighty. So I'm currently at fourteen thousand three hundred and fifty unique wow. films now um you know uh like we'll 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 go on to we'll go on to some of my favorites in a minute. But like if I've seen a film five times, that only counts for one. Of those fourteen thousand three hundred and fifty, so that isn't that isn't that's unique films that I've seen, not the number of viewing experiences. So um, yeah, so about about two ish a day. Um, more recently, like when when lockdown kind of like happened, it kind of like I've stepped that up a bit. So I actually saw over nine hundred films in twenty twenty one. Um, which is kind of like I, I, I did some early, some years around the year 2000 were around 900 films, but I'd, I'd kind of settled down into the more 
pedestrian uh, 700, <laughs> which is about the two a day. But in more recent years, yeah, it's kind of like it's edging, it's edging towards, it's edging towards three. It's it's a bit of an average thing because I'm more likely to say watch five films on a Saturday and Sunday each. Um, and, and kind of like fewer during the week as such, but um, but two, wow, two a day. I want to watch two films every day. <laughs> That's going to be my new uh, my new plan of action. Do you well, watch you it could, with your family? Uh, well, it, it, a mixture, mixture. Like like so so certainly on Saturday and Sunday, I've normally watched two films on both of those days before my wife is even awake. Um, so yep. Um, and, and then, and then there are things like, like I love going to film festivals. So, um, so some of the average is also improved by if I'm at four films, uh, a day during, during a festival, um, as well. So it is, it, you know, it, it's, it's, it's achievable. You just need to, ba- I mean, so obviously other things have to go. <laughs> yeah, you need to wake up at the crack of you know, dawn every my, morning. My, my career as a, as a cellist is, is non-existent. <laughs> uh, so moving on to your top three films, we'll start with North by Northwest, produced and directed by Alfred Hitchcock, in which a New York City advertising executive goes on the run after being mistaken for a government agent by a group of foreign spies. So, Cole, why does this film make your top three? Well, it is it, it is such an enjoyable ride as a film. Um, so, so Hitchcock is my favourite director. Cary Grant is my all-time favourite actor. Uh, Cary Grant, born in Bristol, um, so uh, so so born in the town where I have lived for thirty-three years. Um, I, I love the blend of um, suspense yet comedy. There are there are some there are some there are some wonderful lines in there. Um, it's such a such an amazing film, and I could just watch it over and over and over again. And and it, it's 1959. Uh, you could say, without North by Northwest, there would be no James Bond films. Okay, I think there's, I think there's definitely a kind of like a, it kind of like it, it defined a template for how to do a spy thriller with that blend of that blend of different different elements, kind of thing. Um, yeah, so so completely love it. It's also my top ten. It's kind of like has proxies for other films by the same director so so north by northwest sits there but it also represents other hitchcock films in there so so things like rebecca uh, notorious uh, psycho shadow of a doubt um uh, spellbound um those though though it's kind of like that's the that's the hitchcock place in the top 10 with north by northwest being his second greatest film not to spoil anything that might be coming <laughs> <laughs> david would you agree with the uh, james bond i hadn't thought about it which is probably a bit deft of me but yeah i i can completely see it now yeah, I I had a there there was a thing a few years ago where so so North by Northwest was on TV, and and so I I recommended it to a friend and and he had a teenage son, um I said oh you're gonna love this and so I uh, the following week I mean I saw my friend again, I said what did you think of North by Northwest, 
And he says, well, it was good. It was good. But, but like, you know, it's like obviously like inspired by the Bond films. <laughs> And and it's it's kind of like that. What? Wait! Like, look at the year. <laughs> you know, I go, get out the IMDb app. <laughs> kind of say, look, nineteen fifty nine. And David, we classified North by Northwest PG for mild violence and sex references. How have our standards changed since the late late fifties, specifically around violence? Yeah, well, they have, as you say, we, we classified North by Northwest for its theatrical release uh, before PG existed in 59. Uh, we gave it an A, which was an adult category, and that meant that my, uh, children could, could go and see it as long as they were accompanied by an adult um, with the advice that it may be unsuitable for the very young. And as you say, since then, we've classified it PG various times, video, DVD, cinema release, for mild violence and sex references. And the strongest moment of violence... I see if Coll agrees. Uh, probably is when we see a stabbed man with a knife in his back falling into Thornhill's arms. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, people's views about violence in films has changed, and we do reflect it on our standards. So since the late 90s, we've been keeping our finger on the pulse of people's opinion. Every four to five years, we ask more than 10,000 people what they think about how we should classify sex, violence, drug misuse, discrimination everything really and we reflect what they tell us in our standards which is why we're so trusted you know 83% of parents trust BBFC ratings all or most of the time 97% of people like you Cole uh, say they benefit from those age ratings being in place um, and in terms of violence now when we did our most recent guidelines research in, in, in 2019 people made a real distinction between real world scenarios and more fanta fantastical fancy violence so a real world scenario is something that could happen to them um so people especially young people told us that they feel a heightened sense of anxiety around realistic contemporary scenarios that show terrorism or self-harm suicide uh, for example and they want more restrictive classification and content warnings and on the other hand, when they see a Bond film or a Bourne film or a superhero movie, yeah. they know that's not real violence. You know, these are you know essentially Bourne and Bond are superheroes, aren't they? You know, they've got amazing <laughs> skills that none of us are none of us are going to have. And they see that very much as not realistic and, and more in the realms of fantasy. So they're more mm. told, you know, they, they think we should classify that kind of content at twelve, yeah. whereas more realistic, they were looking looking at fifteen and sometimes even an eighteen. Even though that's set in the real world, isn't it? It's yeah, set in the real world. Yeah, I, 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 yeah. I completely understand what you're saying, but I'd never thought mm. I'd never thought about that. Yeah. Like in that way before, yeah. yeah. I mean, if it yeah. was, if you know, let's say it's it's a knife fight between two teenagers in 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 a, in, a, in Birmingham, where I am from the West Midlands, that would be people are more concerned about that kind of violence than Bond, right? You know, doing his stuff yeah, or yeah. Jason Bourne doing blowing his stuff. up a giant bridge. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so they want, so they want us to classify the more realistic violence more restrictively. Right. Okay. So. Moving on to the second film in the list. I'm whizzing through these, so we have time. Um, but the next one we'll be discussing is Inception, which is an action thriller by renowned director Christopher Nolan, who you might know from... Very, I feel like everyone knows Christopher Nolan at this point. Um, this is a very confusing film, which I still find very confusing, and I apologise, you're looking very... Angry I'm looking well. very concerned at you there about how you were um, confused. So we'll talk about this after the podcast. In which a special team are employed to use dream technology to commit corporate, corporate espionage. So, Cole, do you remember the first time you saw this film? Did you see it at a cinema? 
And what was it that really this you enjoyed? Is, yeah, so I I was I was in the very fortunate position. Um, um, thank you, Bethan at Warner Brothers. Um, I was at the world premiere of Inception. And um, now you might think that I would want to know everything about every film before it's coming out, you know, because like, hey, you created IMDb. Um, but I'm actually the complete opposite. So, so I love going in to see a film cold, not knowing anything. And so, so I, I typically avoid trailers. Um, and so I've been very careful not to know anything about Chris Nolan's new film. Um, um, so so we were invited along uh, Odeon, Leicester Square, July 2010, and this film just hit me like almost no other film has, has, has ever hit me. Um, I I love the sophistication of the plot, the the technology. The it's it's one of those films that you kind of like think where. Where does Chris even get the idea from to to do this? And then even when you've got the basic idea, how how brilliant is it to translate it to to a film that that kind of like works like works like this? And I I was just I I remember like the 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 the, the film finished. And there was just riotous applause um, in in the Odeon, and and just an amazing atmosphere, and everybody like everybody knew they had seen something really, really special. And that was that was obviously this is the world premiere, so no chance of any spoilers or anything like that. And then and then uh, then very just just by coincidence, I happened to be flying to the US the next day. And uh, one of my team members in Seattle had uh, managed to persuade the local Warner Brothers publicist to host a screening for IMDb in Seattle. So on the Monday, a huge group of us went to see it. And I, I, of course, I'm seeing it for the second time. So I saw this film twice before it was even released. And then, and it's one of those films, like, so, so you see it the first time, you're kind of like taking it all in. The second time, you're confirming your understanding of everything that you saw the first time. And so I had to go and see it a third time in a theatre just so I could, like, enjoy the film. Uh, and, um, yeah, I've seen it. I've seen it many times, many times since. That's maybe um, what I'm missing. Maybe I need to watch it again and again. <laughs> I think you definitely need to watch it more than once. I mean, I, I loved it the first time I watched, I watched it, but I'm not entirely sure what's going on with Ooh. the dreams within dreams and then, you know, go further down the rabbit hole. But, yeah, on subsequent viewings, it's... I think it's all clear. Yes. <laughs> I feel yeah, as if it's yeah, clear. Yeah. I, the, the, the end is completely unambiguous, and I'm happy yeah. to discuss this with anybody at any time. <laughs> <laughs> so, David, we rated Inception at 12 uh, for moderate violence. Um, what do our guidelines say at 12 on kind of guide, uh, violence in this context? Yeah, so, we, so the guidelines say that... Um, Moderate violence is is fine at twelve, but it shouldn't dwell on on detail, and there should be no emphasis on injuries or blood. So the scenes of violence in in the film, and there are quite a few. There's uh, several extended gunfights, the occasional sight of blood as bullets find their mark, 
and there are a couple of long fight sequences and some crunchy blows exchanged mm-hmm. between between the combatants fighting. Um, so, you know, some of these scenes are extended, but they really don't dwell on 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 the infliction of of, of pain or injury and the, the detail. Um, and where the, where there are a few scenes of injury detail, they don't emphasise the blood, um, you know, or close up on injury detail, uh, even where blood is visible. So it was. Fairly, fairly straightforward. It was fairly straightforward classification. Decision also, of course, all of those, all of those things happen within a dream, or within a dream, within a dream, uh, exactly. or a dream yeah. within a dream, exactly. within a dream. Exactly, and it's exactly the point about that. The people have told us that they draw a distinction between real, realistic violence and fantasy violence, and this is all in a yeah. in a fantasy, fantasy world or a dream world. Yeah. So uh, everybody's asleep in the first yeah. class cabin of a seven four seven from exactly. Australia to LA. Exactly, exactly. So what would be on your kind of Inception-inspired IMDb list? Right, so, so well, I, you know, having, having kind of like thought about this, so, so, so we do, we, one of the features that we have on IMDb is we have something on each title page called More Like This. And it's kind of like it's 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 a magical algorithm that kind of like looks at kind of like who visits connected pages. It looks at ratings between connected titles and things like that. So it's it's all actually generated. And and I I looked at the list for for Inception, and I was kind of like, wow, these algorithms are, are onto something here because in the set was the Matrix. Okay, you know, you yeah. think about the yeah, yet those yet the two films don't have that much in common otherwise, but they they essentially characters go into a world and they have their experience within the within within the world, whether it be into the matrix or into the dream machine kind of thing. Um, the prestige, which mm-hmm. is which is my second favorite. Christopher Nolan film. We're going to have to disagree um, on some of these. Um, I love the Prestige, but you know, right? So, I, Dunkirk's my favourite. Oh, I no, love well, I Dunkirk. love Dunkirk too. I'm not. Uh, yeah, I'm not. Don't, 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 don't worry. You know, don't, don't, it's not that I'm not down on Dunkirk or anything I'm, I'm like that. I loved it. Dunkirk, <laughs> um, but the the Prestige, I think, has uh, just has the it has that that mind bending kind of like the plot is kind of like double nested um and then the end the just the end and the reveal in the prestige i i again i i I saw that i took my seattle team to see the prestige the first time i saw it and and the like the discussions that we had after the end of that film i mean i i love i love going to see a film that provokes prompts discussion even even if even if sometimes the film isn't great you can have such like a a wonderful discussion about the well they should have done this or why didn't they do that or you know well here's my take i i think you're wrong about this film not being great i think it's the best thing i've ever seen i i love the way that that can that can spark things I, I, like I, that. I, yeah i i completely agree and i, I watched um before I met, it was in my present role, I was a BBFC examiner and I watched The Prestige when it came in for classification. So I was, you know, typing away and making notes on the film and I couldn't really enjoy it as much as as, I, oh, as, as you need to because you're analysing it and you're classifying it. Yeah. So 
I thought this is a really good film. I haven't got as much out of it as I should have done, so I, obviously I had to go to this as soon as it came out. I had, <laughs> having classified it twelve, as I think pretty much every Christopher Nolan film is uh, it goes for right, that yeah. in that age bracket. I thought, I'm going to have to go and see this properly in the cinema, and really, really enjoyed it. I'd never thought about that as a disadvantage of being on the classification team: the fact that you can't really relax and enjoy the film lest something go by. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> and, and so. <laughs> So you're in a different mode. And, and in fact, it's a different mode. It's a different mode than a film critic, isn't it? Because the film critic is trying to, you know, if you, if you, if you, if you talk to, to film critics, they'll, 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 seem to be quite opinionated on this. They, 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 which is what you would expect. Um, they want to kind of like absorb the film like they're an audience member and then write about how they absorb that film it's not about criticism isn't about finding things that are wrong or finding things that are great it's kind of being able to translate your experience as an audience member into words that a potential audience member can read interpret and decide whether this film will work or will not work uh, for them but the you know if a critic misses something i guess it's you know it's kind of like well the you, you might not know in the review whereas if you're classifying the film and you miss something you're yeah you're in you're yeah. in deep trouble we can't, we can't miss anything we, <laughs> you we can't, can't miss a thing and if yeah. we think if we think we have and it's very rare to think oh, was was that was that was there a blood spurt there or was that a use of the f word we we just we watch the rest of the film and then we go back and we right. watch that scene again okay, if, we, yeah. if we need to if we're not entirely yes. sure uh, so at least we have that facility but it means you yeah. can't enjoy you can't no. just let yourself go because oh. then you, you wouldn't be doing your job properly no I find it so such an experience watching films with the kind of compliance and classification team at the BBFC because I will be like watching something and I'm like PG that was fine and they're like did you not see that sign in the background that had the F word on it <laughs> Uh, did you not see they were holding protest sign and it had a bad word and I'm like oh no right. <laughs> that's, and that's wow. why I'm not in the compliance team <laughs> but they, <laughs> right, have, they okay. have such an eye for detail it's yep. truly like incredible watching them kind of work Got um, so David you must also have that really good eye <laughs> well I did have but now I've got a fantastic team of compliance officers to do it, to do it for me <laughs> the, the last one that I'll mention I think with, with Inception because they came, about, came out around about the same time is Shutter Island Oh. And, and I was like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I can, I can get that people who, because I, because I'm in, I'm one of these people. I loved Inception and I love Shutter Island as well. And it's kind of like, aha, yeah. I love Shutter Island. I love the plot twist. Like you never, those kind of films will never. Oh, I won't reveal it, but those kind of films that you really just don't expect what happened to happen like right, really all yes. the kind of films that I love to watch yeah, yeah. and that will probably feed into you not wanting to see spoilers or trailers either <laughs> yeah I, 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 I'm going to mention a, a film without without spoiling it in any way whatsoever um so while I was in Toronto I saw the the new movie with Ray Fiennes in called The Menu and if you see that without knowing anything it is it is the best way to see that film um it's it is such a such a different film 
than what you're okay. what you may expect. Sadly, I've seen the trailer, and on the basis oh, of trailer, I do want to see it when it's yeah, uh, yeah, when yeah. It's out. Okay, right, yeah, because I watch trailers after I've seen the film, so so I can kind of like go, oh, this is how this is how the marketing angle went with that. And, and it's interesting because sometimes you can see in the trailer, you might see the end of the film and you go, oh, my goodness, the end of the film is in the trailer. But if you've not seen the film at the time, then you won't necessarily know it's the end. Yeah. So there's there's, the, there's some great psychological, talking of great, you know, Inception, Shutter Island, The Matrix, The Prestige, there's some great psychological things going on here with film, isn't yeah, there? Definitely. <laughs> well, that brings us on to our kind of last film and your favourite film uh, would you like to reveal it Cole? Uh, my all time favourite film is Alfred Hitchcock's Vertigo from 1958 ah, uh. so Vertigo is a film noir psychological thriller film directed by surprise surprise Alfred Hitchcock um, and it's about a former police detective who juggles wrestling with his personal demons and becoming obsessed with a hauntingly beautiful woman um, so, Cole, what was it about Vertigo that makes it top of your list? And right. how many times have you watched it? Okay, well, I'll, I'll, I've seen it more than 50 times. Um, <laughs> five zero, um, <laughs> including twice in French. Uh, ah. I'm, I'm learning to speak French, although the number of films there are to see is interfering with my ability to <laughs> learn to speak French. Of course, unless I'm watching a film in French. Um, so, um, so I first saw Vertigo on the 26th of November 1989, right in the middle of Channel 4's Hitchcock season and they used to do a classic Hitchcock uh like early black and white maybe you know mostly mostly British Hitchcock films on the on the Friday and then they would show a later Hitchcock film on the on the Sunday so this I I was gripped by this film. Uh, the the it begins with a thrilling chase across a rooftop rooftop in San Francisco and and Hitchcock like pulled me in to this film and he he talks Hitchcock talks about being able to play the audience like a musical instrument and I think I was I was putty in Alfred Hitchcock's hands um I became obsessed with Kim Novak's character you know who is who is this mysterious woman what is what is going on and I'll I'll keep this I'll keep this spoiler free even even though you've had more than 60 years to see the film <laughs> <laughs> um, um, I I became obsessed with the character kind of fully pulled into the world of James Stewart as he's as 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 he's as he's following her around San Francisco um and then something surprising happens, and it's one of the most surprising things I've ever seen captured on screen. And my wife and I, we were watching it together, um, and, and we looked at each other and both simultaneously said, they can't do that! <laughs> <laughs> and 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 you're kind of like you're sort of traumatized in 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 the film and then but then the film goes on and uh and and it's kind of like well what what is what is what is going on and then instead of saving the the kind of plot twist reveal to like the final moments you discover the plot twist but poor James Stewart, the, the, the character you've been following around, he's none the wiser. 
and you're then, you're then, oh my goodness, you know, don't you see, can't you see what's going on? And, you know, his character, his character can't, and, and, and just the, the cinematography, the locations, the, the Bernard Herman score, um, everything about that movie so so i i fell in love with it i completely obsessed it instantly became my favorite movie um and thank goodness we we were recording it on on vhs tape so i was able to like watch it again and it wasn't it was not until it was restored in 96 that we were able to see it on the big screen in a cinema with an audience. And so, you know, my wife and I, we came, we came to London specifically. We, you know, we got grandparents to babysit our three-year-olds and came all the way to London to watch Vertigo on the big screen. And so it's kind of like I've seen my favourite film for the first time twice because of because of doing that, and then um, in at the Toronto Film Festival a few years ago, it's like I'm obsessed with Toronto here. Um, <laughs> their closing Sunday, one of their venues is the Roy Thompson Hall in the heart of Toronto, um, and it's the home base for the Toronto Symphony Orchestra, and so they got the Toronto Symphony Orchestra to do a live score musical accompaniment to Vertigo. And they brought Kim Novak in to introduce the film. And so it was like seeing my favourite film for the first time, for the third time. So yeah, and then and then like I remember the the first time the first time I went to San Francisco, it was it was on a on a business trip pre pre IMDb, and uh, dragging my work colleagues around different parts of of San Francisco just so that we could go uh, we we could go and 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 they were kind of like well what happened here and I'm like well this is the, this is the scene in Vertigo uh, Jana if you're listening to this I am sorry for for. <laughs> dragging you around San Francisco um, and all, all the work colleagues I, I drag them uh, the, the the mission in the in in the in the film is a genuine um, uh, it's uh, mission San Juan Batista it's a hundred miles south of San Francisco just as James Stewart's character explains in the movie so we drove all the way there oh just gosh. so that I could kind of like like look you know look across in the same way that that you view that in the film so yeah I've been to all the locations um, completely obsessed oh. uh, with with that with that film it changed my life <laughs> I love um all of the rise of kind of big re-releases particularly with lockdown and one that I'm really looking forward to is the 40th anniversary of E.T. because I never got a chance to watch that on the big screen when I was a kid because I had it on video Uh but I've never seen it in a cinema so I'm very excited for that. Yeah. Um, David, do you remember the first time you watched Vertigo? Um, Do I remember the first time I watched Vertigo? I'm I'm, going to probably say something quite controversial i I loved vertigo but my favorite hitchcock is rear window i just think oh right yeah that's that's great too yeah yeah it's less complex than 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 vertigo maybe i was too young when i first watched it because i would have been you know maybe early teens when i first saw it um so maybe uh, maybe i was a bit young at the first time i've i've come to appreciate it like fine wine it's matured with me over the years but at the time i thought no rear window is the one for me but anyway (laughs) and we rated it PG for mild threat and references to suicide. Um, it had 
addresses some quite tricky themes, but it's really implied as opposed to shown on screen. Um, David, was it important that these things were implied and when classifying the film PG? I mean, it helped enormously that they were implied rather than absolutely explicit. Um, and when we when we first classified it in the 1950s, people uh, the examiners argued that while some of the themes may be darkly morbid, they certainly are, they're, <laughs> they're presented through subtle cinematic conventions that would not be fully understood by a young audience, such as me. Oh, I was probably too young at the time. Right. So I didn't, yeah, yeah, yeah. The subtle cin- yeah. cinematic conventions it, it, were above me it, when it, I was about 11 years yeah, old. If you're not old <laughs> enough to fall in love with Kim Novak's yeah. character, it's not going to work the same. Um <laughs> But yeah, I mean, there is an absence of sort of nasty violence and sadistic scenes that if it was a brand new film being made today with a different director might might feature that kind of content. But one examiner, in the 80s when we first classified it PG, one of the examiners did say, I'm going to quote, quote him or her here, that if we were seeing the film for the first time, hours may have been spent probing the Freudian undertones of the work and the vaguely kinky implications of dressing up a woman to resemble a dead person in order to achieve sex- sexual stimulation. So clearly, age 11, I was a bit young. <laughs> um, so there you go. That was what, um, what we thought when we classified the film PG in the 1980s film. For, right. for, its, for its VHS release. And we've, it's since been classified multiple times. Um, mm-hmm. all, all was at PG. Yeah, that, that feels that feels fair. <laughs> um, and Carl, what films would you recommend to anyone who really enjoyed Vertigo? Right. Who's maybe seen some other Hitchcock but wants something that has that kind of massive plot twist element yeah for this now now also on imdb we we have in addition to the algorithmic kind of recommendations we do allow people to submit connections between movies and shows so a a a film might reference a previous film in some way or other um and you can kind of like submit those and so there's kind of like a curated section of things that that are referenced so so i picked from there um interestingly this predates vertigo so so maybe vertigo is referencing this film um otto preminger's laura from 1944 which you know again a, a a character becomes obsessed with uh with a woman and kind of like is is kind of like trying to figure out you know what's what's going on that kind of thing so thematically there's a nice connection there and that may be a case of um that might be a case of the authors of the novel um, upon which Vertigo is based, um, who also wrote the the novel that Les Diabolique is based upon as well. Um, they they may have been inspired by Laura, which then Hitchcock may be kind of like factored in there. But then it's inspired so many other films after it. Most notably, um, Brian De Palma is a self-confessed Hitchcock fan um, and his film from 1976 Obsession is kind of it's almost a reworking of the plot of Vertigo he hired Bernard Herrmann to score the film uh, and it's almost Bernard Herrmann's last uh, last score although, although technically his last score is Taxi Driver um so um so very much a kind of like Hitchcock fans tribute to Vertigo but taking the plot in a different direction um 
Uh, Jonathan Demme's 1979 movie, Last Embrace, is the ultimate Hitchcock, multiple Hitchcock films boiled down into a a single film. Uh, very early Jonathan Demme film. I, I was very fortunate. I had, I had dinner with him a few years ago. And, you know, most people want to, want to talk to him about Silence of the Lambs. And I'm kind of like, can we talk about Last Embrace? And he's, I think I was the first person who'd asked him about it in, in, in quite a while. So, so great film. Um, and then... Kenneth Branagh, Eugenius, dead again from 1991, uh, has some has some similar themes. Um, it has um, it has a great it has a great twist. There are some brilliant Hitchcock um, uh, angles in in Dead Again. I'll never one one of my one of my most favorite sequences in a film and i'm trying to keep this spoiler free for dead again um there's kind of like a, there's there's a, there's a fight that goes on in an apartment towards the end of end of the film and the scissors slide across the floor in the apartment in in the apartment and you see it from the perspective of the scissors and i was like oh my uh, you know <laughs> that is such a good shot to 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 have to have in a film um and then then finally san francisco okay so think of the san francisco locations think of the plot twists think of the obsession um basic instinct um is a is is a is a film that anyone who loves vertigo is likely to likely to appreciate and um yeah i love that i love that film as well so i've got some final questions um for you as we wrap up this podcast um and these are largely looking ahead to the future and and looking back on the industry more generally um what upcoming film releases are you both most looking forward to watching all right, I I have I have two now, and one of mine's going to be a rewatch. Um, so so I I'm in the very fortunate position. Um, I saw Glass Onion: A Knives Out Mystery in Toronto, oh, okay. and it is everything you could want from a Knives Out sequel. It is not a retread. Uh, it is it is a, a brilliantly inspired sequel that, that people who love the original are going to love it. People who maybe even didn't like the original are probably going to love this. Uh, it is really, really great. It's the closing night film of the London Film Festival and I'm going to be one of a few people in the audience who are watching it for the second time through and and trying not to make any noises that might you know might signal that this is an important plot point that you should be paying attention to for later and it's uh, even more twisty and turny than the first one which uh, I quite possibly quite possibly there okay. i don't want to i don't want to okay. say it's it's uh, it, the, what ryan has done there is 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 just exceedingly clever and it, it the uh, i was at the world premiere in toronto it brought the house down um again and they in the q and a afterwards um, one that they they were asking people what was their favorite thing and one of the one of the cast said well 10 minutes in i knew this was going to work with this audience 
Um, and so, uh, you know, so that's good. Um, and then the the other film, uh, the other film that I'm looking forward to that's not out yet and I haven't seen yet um, is Empire of Light. Um, Sam Mendes' uh, new film, uh, which is also playing the London Film Festival. Gosh, now I'm an ad for the London Film Festival, <laughs> aren't I? Um, uh, but um, but films about the love of film, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, I'm naturally predisposed to be. Oh, look, there's a there's a character. Uh, you know, there's a character I can definitely relate to. Um, so so uh, those are my those are my two that I'm looking forward to. Very good choices. I'm excited for both of those. What about you, David? Well, I mentioned June part two, but that's, I think that's October 2023, so that's a long way off. Um, The the menu, I mean, you mentioned the the Ray Fiennes film. I've seen the trailer and I thought, this looks really great and I really am looking forward to going to see it, but I wonder if my expectations have been twisted No, 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 it's great. It's a great film. It's just not the film you think it is. Okay. I'm even more looking forward to it now in that case. Moving on to kind of the industry more generally, Cole, um, how has the industry changed since you started in your role, like the film industry more general? Yeah, um, so so I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely an optimistic kind of person here. And one of the, th- one of the things that's thrilling for me as an audience member is it's never been easier for storytellers to be able to tell their stories through film and we, we kind of like t- touched on this earlier so so I love the accessibility that technology brings to storytellers and to audiences that not you know being able to in the first place tell your story being able to find your audience and then as an audience member being able to kind of like view and and appreciate the stories that that are being told so um so i'm 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 a big fan of people being able to tell their stories i'm my all-time favorite movie quote comes from grand canyon from 1991 um david's now going to tell me what certificate this is (laughs) sadly i don't know Uh, it's 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 a steve it's a steve martin line um and the line is all of life's riddles are answered in the movies and and I, I you know I, I I love that I relate to I relate to that quote. It's a quote about the love of film, and and I'm a big believer in the power of film to uh, to educate people, to inform people, and to entertain people. Take them to cultures that. They are not easily accessible to them. Um, it, it, worlds, languages that they don't speak, um, times in the past that they could not have experienced, imaginary worlds in the future, um, imaginary places in galaxies far, far away. <laughs> um, all, all of that is within the power of the creators of the of the stories, and I, I, I think that the world would be a much better place if people watched more movies because it would help people understand that people are people are basically the same wherever wherever you wherever you go um and film is a great way of connecting people i definitely agree i think film like our research shows that film is such a good springboard for opening conversations particularly with like students or teens or mm-hmm. or people showing them a new experience a new way of kind of being or living um we try and create lots of resources on our website which you should check out um kind of 
translating those experiences and giving people film suggestions to watch to kind of explore complex issues like discrimination, um, kind of there's issues kind of exploring um, trans experiences, how you can open up conversations around that. And I think like when you see things on screen that you might not necessarily know or understand, it gives you an insight into that world and it can really form your kind of viewpoints going forward and how you navigate those situations. So yeah, exactly the point. Yeah. 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 Um, David, what do you think the next five years holds for the film industry? Like Cole, I'm an optimist. Um, I, I, I think there will always be a demand for the cinema experience, you know, that, that shared experience when you're in the room in the dark with, with hundreds of other people. And it just made me, I've just been thinking recently about when I first saw Aliens, the James, oh. Cameron, the James Cameron film. I saw it at the um, Odeon Marble Arch, which at mm-hmm. the time was the biggest cinema in the UK. Carl's going to correct me there, but I'm, no, I'm, no, no, no. That, that feels that, that that feels kind of right for '86, yeah. and it's kind of a slow build-up as it's the tension is ratcheting up and ratcheting up, and the Marines go into the abandoned buildings in what's the colony called? Hopes something or other. Hadley's Hope. Hadley's Hope. Hadley's Hope. <laughs> and they go into the lab, and there are these aliens, alien. Uh, face hugger. Face, there's a the, face hugger. The... There's a face hugger in a jar, in a in a, te- in a big jar, a test tube. And there was there were I don't know a thousand people. How many people were yep. just so tense, so tense? And all that happens is the face hugger. There's a little squiggle, and everyone in that cinema yeah, leapt yeah. out of their skin, including me and the people I was yeah. with. It's yeah. utterly terrifying, and you can't replicate that anywhere else. It's that no. it's that it's that shared experience. Having said that, you know, so there's always going to be space for the cinema because nothing can compete with it having said that you know, i think streaming has really you talked about accessibility costs yes, and yeah, technology yeah, making yeah. content much more accessible and we and you know I, I i've seen a lot of world cinema films on streaming platforms that i possibly wouldn't have seen i want to give a per i want to give a plug for our, the bbfc's youth panel so we work with a number of young people um who give us their thoughts on how you know film is received and how they they interpret film and how how, how we should classify film and they've created a world cinema map and get to, which, which is on our website and it's to give you ideas of films and tv shows to watch across the globe and i think that's a resource i mean megan gave a plug for our website so i'd like to uh, give a plug for what the, our youth panel have done in creating this map which you can find on the youth hub section of our website and the other thing i want to mention it's not five years away you asked for what's the next five years we're running another create the card competition so as you know oh, when you I go love those <laughs> when, when it you... reminds me when you said earlier about snow white and your drawing i was thinking well we've got something very exciting coming up so when you go to cinema obviously bef- the, the lights have gone down the trailer reel is finished the ad reel is finished and the black card comes up saying what the film is and what the rating is um you probably saw the jurassic world I Domin- did, yeah. Dominion in fact i spoke to you about that after the the few days afterwards so how remember. excellent was that drawing <laughs> yeah, yeah. Was so fantastic fantastic so that was that was a competition for secondary school students so we're now launching a new competition for primary school students so it's this is a nationwide competition for young people to design the official bbfc black card for Puss in Boots. So we've partnered with Universal and we're inviting young people across the country to unlock their imaginations and creative potential. And we would like them to design a black card for uh, Puss in Boots The Last Wish. So the winning design will be projected on the big screen before every single cinema showing of 
Puss in Boots The Last Wish in cinemas from the 3rd of February next year. So the competition closes on Friday the 16th of December and we'll announce the winner with Universal at the end of January. So please get get your pens and your paint paintbrushes out no and, loose, and start. No loose glitter because it's a nightmare. Yeah, we got a lot of loose. We did get quite a bit of loose glitter for the uh, <laughs> for the Jurassic World Dominion competition, and it was a challenge for for Megan and others and me. <laughs> we, our clothes were covered in glitter. So yeah, please get. Uh, Please get those creative juices flowing and, and um, design something that you could see on cinema screens across the UK. It's a, such a lovely competition to do. And um, we actually, um, with our, the last winner, he got a private screening at Universal of Jurassic World Dominion with his twin brother and his mum and dad. And they all came in and had security wow. take them through to a private room when they had all merchandise and uh-huh. popcorn and <laughs> snacks and just the joy like of seeing how happy he was to have that experience really just reminds you just how exciting the film industry is and how amazing those experiences are um, and there would be no imdb if it was not for the denton reporters coloring competition <laughs> exactly. in 1972 there you go <laughs> you might draw a puss in boots and then come up with a wonderful idea for a new <laughs> website but yeah i'm very excited to launch that <laughs> Um, and is there anything coming up at IMDb we should look oh, forward to? Oh, we well, well, the I, I'm as as I mentioned, kind of like the the expansion into music video and podcasts is kind of like the 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 beginning of kind of like a wider expansion of what we cover. So um, so stay stay tuned. It's kind of funny to think I'm I'm on a podcast here and now I'm going to earn an IMDb credit. <laughs> <laughs> We'd love to see the BBFC from, podcast from on being IMDb. on. So, so wait a minute, Carl Needham, the founder and CEO of IMDb, is on a podcast, and now he gets a credit on IMDb by virtue of being on that podcast. It's all, uh, all a lot of fun. That's very exciting. A lot of data to get through. I imagine. Yes. <laughs> oh, well, thank you so much for joining me, Colin David. It's been such a lovely chat, and I've really enjoyed hearing about all your favourite films and films you're looking forward to as well. Um, so I'll wrap up the podcast now. Um, it's been just phenomenal. So thank you very much. Thank and you. as thank always, you. if anyone has any questions or would like to chat with us about the podcast, drop us a message on Twitter at BBFC, at Instagram at BBFC underscore age ratings or on Facebook. Alternatively, you can email us at podcast at BBFC.co.uk. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.